Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family. This is episode 17 of season five, and it is the third and final installment on our paranormal series. So please enjoy, and maybe you too will get a foreign accent. That was terrible. Hypnosis. Mindfulness. Meditation. Mama, mama. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hey, Christina Wiltsey. Hello, Anna Stromquist. You always do these weird-ass voices. (laughs) Hi, Anna. Hi, Christina. Oh man, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I am. Are you? Yes, I am. How's it? I wasn't going good yesterday. Actually, well, I bawled my eyes out today with a patient, but other than that, it's been a great day. (laughs) You know, just just bawled my eyes out with a patient. Yeah. Yeah. I like openly started talking about his late wife, and we both love her, and we both just started bawling, and I'm like, why did I do this? Why am I like this? Why did I bring her her up? But like, you can't not bring her up because she's, her presence is there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And I feel like that's, it's beautiful that you have that kind of connection with your patients, right? Yeah. Yeah. But also I'm like, why, why did I do this? Why? (laughs) Boundaries. Because you're a deep talker, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) anyways aside from that which was okay right like doesn't mean the day is bad it's just a flavor of the day it is a flavor major grief and bawling it's been a good day yeah and I'm really excited about today's topic because today we're talking about in our third part of the paranormal series we're talking about two fascinating topics one is people waking up from strokes or surgeries with alterations to their personalities which is very interesting and you know brings up a lot of questions and then you're talking about what christina mass illnesses i'm going to tell you guys a little bit about some interesting mass illnesses i'm excited Um, (laughs) at first (laughs) 
top of mind. I'm excited. <laughs> well, I think it, what I think is so fascinating is that like, and, and the one thing that we do differently on, on this spiritual fix is that we always muscle test and try and like use our own intuition that we have to be like, what do you think this really was? Which is a really interesting thing. I first was going to look at shared psychosis, which is also referred to as like folio deux, which is like basically the folly of two is how that roughly translates from French, but there's like, but there's these phenomenons, which were like folie à beaucoup, which means like, like the folie of a lot or the folie de plurien. But the, basically I, the idea is that these are, these are mass expressions of your, your kind of sharing in some sort of psychosis, or there's something that's contagious, that is energetic, that cannot be explained by, you know, and still probably can't even be explained, even if you were to say like, oh, it was like a, you know, they try to explain them sometimes with, oh, it was a mold infestation or it was whatever. But it's like, I feel like a lot of these mass illness cases are examples of this, like this paranormal, paranormal, like you don't quite know what it is, or there's some energy that just takes hold of people. So, so we are going to start with the dancing plague of 1518 which starts on a summer's day in Strasbourg where Fra there's a woman named Frau Trophia. She began dancing in the streets and she didn't stop for almost a week. Strasbourg, France, which is now also the Strasbourg region of Germany. It's kind of in the Eastern part of France um, and that Southern Western part of Germany. So she basically like was just like, I'm going to dance. She kept dancing for an entire week. And within a month, 400 citizens were also afflicted with this urge to dance. And then they started just dropping. They started just dying. Like they died of strokes, heart attacks, exhaustion. It was like, they just like got this like fervor to start dancing and they danced until they died. A lot did they, dead. did the, were the deaths all like results of exhaustion or was the deaths a result of whatever this was? Well, it, I think it was strokes, heart attacks and exhaustion from what they say. It wasn't this, like it was just because they didn't stop dancing that they Were died. Were they twerking? Were they waltzing? Like what kind of dance was <laughs> well, it? Well, if it was 1518, I can imagine it was some sort of like folk dance. But then again, I don't know what dancing looked like in 1518. It's kind of an yeah. interesting thing. Or I wonder if it was like tremors and they're like, oh, that's dancing. So uh, that was one of, that was one of the, 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 the historians have proposed that the dancers accidentally ingested ergot which is a toxic mold that's linked to spasms, but it basically wouldn't explain the incredible endurance of their fits. And others say that maybe it was related to stress for disease and famine that was in there a lot, or the dancing curse, which is from St. Vitus, which was like a previous thing that happened. But the interesting thing was that the authorities basically thought that it was just like hot blood. And they basically said, okay, well, why don't we just have like a national or not? It wasn't national. They wouldn't have called it that, but they were like, why don't we just have a dance day and, and a day and a night to dance and you can exercise all your demons. And they, they supported it. So they constructed a stage and they hired dancers and musicians, which led to the problem spreading significantly more. So basically right. the, the dancing plague spread to Germany, Holland, and Switzerland after that where it was just, you know, basically there was like, it was just an Eastern French town before that. So did they ever figure out what caused it? Nope. Nope. It was too long ago. It was too long ago. Okay. Um, when you muscle test, what do you get that it was? And I'm going to muscle test too. I get that it was some sort of like demonic ecstatic experience. What do you get? I get it was some sort of entity. 
yeah. attachment. Yeah. And that it just like spread when they, when they allowed people to go into that space. Really interesting. All right. The next one right. is, is the writing tremor epidemic, which is a similar location. It was in 1892 and it was a bunch of schoolgirls in Grosstins, Germany. And they started uncontrollably shaking when they tried to write. Some were experiencing amnesia and altered consciousness. And then the following year, there were students in Basel, Switzerland, which began quaking. This one I think is really, really interesting because there was, it was known to have happened in the latter 19th century in Europe. And was, and some people believe that it was, there was a doctor, Dr. Bartholomew, who said that it was a direct result of teaching a new method, which viewed the mind as a muscle that needed to be exercised. So basically they were forcing these kids to sit down and do tedious and repetitive exercises. And the thought is either one was that their brains just did not want to do it. So they came up with this like psychosomatic illness right? Because they all just, they were all being forced to do the same thing. So they all had the same reaction or some may have consciously done it because they just didn't want to do all of these exercises, which, you know, interesting thing there. So the next one is a little bit more recently, and this was the mad gasser of Mattoon, in 1944, and it was during the war, height of World War II, there was a place in Mattoon, Illinois. The first person was a woman named, named Aline Kearney, and she described a sickening sweet odor in the bedroom that led to paralysis of her legs and lower body. And when Kearney's husband returned home from work that night, he saw a stranger outside their home. So they, the local newspaper basically said that there was an anesthetic prowler on the loose, and Soon, the entire town was filled with reports of similar sightings and symptoms. And the uh, like basically it 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 went like all over the town just simply because of the news. And the mystery assailant was never found. So that was an example of that. A very famous example was the Salem Witch Trials, which mm -hmm. was from sixteen ninety two to sixteen ninety three. It started in January of sixteen ninety two when nine year old Elizabeth Paris, and her cousin, 11-year-old Abigail Williams, began convulsing in a Salem village. They seemed to be being bitten and pinched by invisible agents. Some were taken dumb, so some, their mouths stopped, their throats choked, their limbs wrecked, and they were tormented. And a doctor basically said that, that they were bewitched, right? So as a result of it, Salem, which Salem Village suffered from extreme factionalism that focused basically controversially around Samuel Paris, who was Elizabeth Paris's father and his fears of declining religious fervor. And so there was this idea, the first person that was, that was accused was Samuel Paris's enslaved woman, a woman named Tatuba. She was the first person who was in, she was the first person who was convicted. And then it, spread it spread from there and they think that a lot of the time they think that what happened was that all these people and all these girls started getting bewitched and you know there was a lot of things that were happening at the time there's a lot of pressures in the town like smallpox epidemic was just ending like the crops were failing they were feeling a lot of pressure because there was a frontier war in massachusetts and that they'd been losing it to the french and and the French and the Native Americans. And so there was a lot of thought as to like why this could have been that the stress of it in and of itself led it so that they could try and externalize it to this outside thing. In Salem, it resulted in 19 men and women being sentenced to death and executed, tried, found guilty, sentenced and ex executed. 
for the alleged crime of witchcraft. But the interesting thing was that the last Salem witch was pardoned in 29 years after her conviction. You know, kind of not necessarily like a mass illness, but it kind of reminds me of the Pied Piper. My daughter was telling me the true story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Do you know that? I don't. What happened? So I like researched it and there's a lot of historical accounts, like I think three or five different historical accounts of this happening. So they think it must have happened. It, it was on June 26, 1284. The It's become a, a fairy tale. But there are 130 children disappeared from the city of Hamlin. And the the story goes that there was a rat catcher and he like played a, a pipe and he said he got all the rats out. It was like during the plague time, you know, because they thought at that time rats carried diseases. And then the mayor, whoever didn't pay him. So he's like, you better pay me or I'm going to do the same thing with your children. I guess they didn't believe him, but then he somehow put them all in a trance or hypnotize them or lured them. Somehow he got 130 children to follow him out of the town and they just don't know where they went. Some, some historians think that he led them to Transylvania, others like to certain death. It's just, this happened in Germany. They just don't know, but it's become like a fairy tale now, but, but isn't that freaking weird? It is weird. It is weird. And it definitely feels like there's some sort of otherworldly power that comes into being able to put kids into a trance. That's crazy. Maybe he was a time traveler. He just had an iPhone. <laughs> like, let's watch Louie. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So the last one I want to say is the Tangi, uh, Tanganyika laughing epidemic of 1962. So really not that long ago. Following the sweeping changes after a hard-won fight for independence from Britain in 1961, the East African territory, which is now known as Tanzania, closed the schools for weeks because dozens of schoolgirls found themselves unable to stop laughing. By the end of the epidemic, over a thousand people were swept off and four schools were forced to temporarily close. The and but it wasn't only just laughing because they became stressed out and exhibited rashes, fainting, respiratory problems, and the official diagnosis was mass hysteria. Wow! When when you're around people who laugh, it is contagious, though. Well, it's like creas, right? Like I feel like that's that's where like when I first saw it about laughing, even when I first saw it about dancing, I was like, I wonder if it's just like a mass crea like something bubbled up in the world and it made it so that everybody opened up their like, you know, their spine True. and their Kundalini rise. And they all of a sudden had these mass Kriya experiences. And it may have been, I feel like it may have been with that laughing one, but you know, it's like, it was such a spontaneous thing that maybe it caused like other reactions, like the rashes and the fainting. Which also can be Kriya. That's when I test, I get that it's a Kriya. When, yeah. when I was having Kriyas in my first Vipassana course, the teacher told me it was really good because other women and girls around me started having them too. Oh, wow. <laughs> because it, it, it is contagious. It's like you open something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have one person who I, I, we have this ability to like pull up each other's Kundalini whenever we see each other. And we'll just start this like hysterical laughing with each other. We'll just like look at each other and like, we'll not be able to stop laughing. How fun. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. So yeah, the, that is my, that is my, those are my stories. Those are my stories of mass hysteria, which are not mass hysteria, but mass illness. 
And, you know, I feel like it really speaks to the fact that we still do not understand so much about the nature of the world. And, you know, I mean, even as it is like, you know, I have been, I, I, I had trouble yesterday, but I've been detoxing from social media. And like, I have to say that like the songs that we keep, that I hear over and over again, and like all these different things, like I have got to imagine that they are affecting us in some mass way that we don't even understand. Right. And hopefully for the better, but you know, like people all listening to the same thing, all listening to the same terminology, you know, like I'm just keeping thinking of that Jericho song that is literally all over TikTok and Instagram at the moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm from outer space. I got evolution in my veins. I'm from outer space. And now I've I need been to dreaming like... about a thought for a long time. I got a question. Erico? I... Yes. Oh my God. Just play it. And then I won't have to sing it anymore. Literally every other reel on Instagram has it as a song. And it's really, really annoying, but it's a beautiful song. It's like incredible. It's like a very, very different song, like in a different sound. But the point being that like, that I feel like there's, you know, we listen to these songs and they become earworms and they're just like trancing inside of our heads all the time. You know, we have a lot of endpoints. We have a lot of noise and sometimes things become signals and they just keep repeating over and over again. And it's the same thing with like emotion and thought and feeling and stuff like that. So that's my point. Well, it's interesting you're talking about music because it kind of fits very well into how I'm going to lead into the topic of today, which is waking up with strange changes. Yes. The first thing I'm going to talk about is waking up with synesthesia. Okay. So, So synesthesia is when basically you experience one sense through another. For example, you hear music, but you see shapes or you see, you see letters and they have colors or like you hear a word and it tastes in your mouth or you hear a name and you suddenly see a color. So synesthesia has the Greek roots. It translates to perceive together and it's not a disease. It's not a disease or a disorder. It doesn't harm your health, although it is linked to PTSD but I'll talk about that in a minute. But basically this is kind of some examples of it. You see or hear a word and you taste a food. You see a shape and you taste a food. You hear sounds and you see shapes or patterns. You hear sounds after you smell a certain scent. You hear sounds and you taste food. You feel an object with your hands and you hear a sound. You feel a touch when seeing something being touched. This is also called mirror touch. Or you might have more than one response. And a recent and a recent case of synesthesia happened to Mary Steenburgen. She's the wife of Ted Danson. She's also an actress. She's so lovely. She's so beautiful. And we've talked about this in the past because I just love this story because I love the song in the movie Wild Rose that she wrote. And basically Steenburgen had a surgery. And when the anesthesia wore off, everything was now music. Suddenly everything was musical. She saw a word. It was music. People were talking. She heard it in the form of music. And so she never played an instrument before. She suddenly was able to teach herself to play instruments. She started writing music, but she didn't want to use her name because she's famous in Hollywood. So she like made a fake name, but to become a songwriter, like an alias. But anyways, the point is, so she had a case of synesthesia where she was suddenly hearing music in 
in, in context of, of sound constantly. I think, I think it's so interesting. The doctor said it might be a strange side effect of anesthesia and it'll wear off, but it never did. And her music, the music she's written is so beautiful. I'd like to think it came, you know, from somewhere else, but she didn't have brain damage. Now keep in mind, she only had anesthesia. The surgery was not on her brain. So it, it's an interesting situation. That is really interesting. Did you know that synesthesia is technically in the family of neurodivergence too, which is interesting. Cause I was, I was talking with a friend of mine, cause I have, I have a mild form of it myself, but for me, what do you do? Mine is that words have gender and words have like letters have gender. Like it was, it was a weird thing. Cause I had never heard synesthesia described in that way. Cause mine is not visual. Like mine is not visual at all. It's, it's a feeling it's like, it's, it taps into my psychic sense. So like colors give me feeling. Like when I look at a certain color, I like feel something in my body. And when I like see, like when I see, it's kind of almost like scrying, you know what I mean? Like in the sense that like, I see a letter and I like feel the person writing the letter. You know what I mean? Like if it's like written or typed and I can like feel the person coming up with the thing. So it's like hard for me to distinguish between my intuitive psychic sense and actual synesthesia. And because I don't see like, I don't hear music so much and I don't like see colors. I'm like, maybe it's not that, but it's, it's an interesting, it's a totally fascinating experience for sure. Numbers to me have personalities. So yes. I don't know if that's a thing. Numbers yes. definitely have personalities. Yes. And then my son watched number blocks and yours did too. And number blocks makes them, gives them synesthesia in a way because it makes every number have a color yes. and it's consistent. So my son, when he, I got him number blocks and he would just hand me the orange, be like, this is seven. Like he'd hand me an orange block and it represented seven. I might be getting this wrong. I think one was, was white. Yeah. Anyways. And to him, because of this TV show, he now associates color with number, but it's actually made him like a genius at math. And I believe your son is really good at math too. And he watched number blocks. I bet you he has the same color synesthesia now because of that show. That's really interesting. I wonder about it. Yeah. It's a fascinating show. And it was just like, he, he can just get into that world so, so deeply because of number blocks. So here's another case of synesthesia. There was a 45 year old man who suffered a stroke. And about 12 months after the, the stroke, the symptoms of synesthesia that reported the shade of blue caused a strong feeling of disgust. Yellow also made him feel disgust, but not as strongly raspberries, which he had never eaten often now tasted like blue and he couldn't stop eating them. Blue tasted like raspberries. The brass theme from James Bond movies caused ecstasy and flashes of the color blue to appear in his peripheral vision. And music played by a tenor pitched brass instrument turned off those feelings. So very, very interesting. And then there was this study that was looking at trying to understand PTSD better. And it says that grapheme color synesthesia is a neurodevelopment trait where letters, digits, or whole words are experienced as having distinct colors. For example, five is red, the letter S is yellow, and this is associated with PTSD, which I think is very interesting. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Or or the TV show on Netflix, Number Blocks. <laughs> yes. So the reason why I want to talk about this topic, you know, we're talking about the paranormal and like, we've all heard that story of the man who woke up and he was unable to speak English anymore, but only ancient Greek or only ancient Hebrew. Like we've heard this. 
Those are actually not true. That's like a Snopes, not real story. But there are stories of this kind of thing happening with foreign accent as whereas your second language. So it's a phenomenon called foreign accent syndrome. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. And then the other one is called bilingual aphasia. So that's like when you study the language or or were slight, only slightly exposed to a language, and then you have some sort of brain injury and you're unable to speak, say, your mother tongue or your normal tongue, and you're suddenly fluent in the other language, right? And to me, that's like such an example of a walk-in or a parallel universe or, or what. Yeah, but I'm going totally. to talk a little bit more about that. So bilingual aphasia is a condition which occurs when the area of the brain that learns a language is damaged and the other area remains untouched. So for example... Let's say, you know, I speak Spanish, Hebrew, French, English, and then I have a stroke and I'm unable to speak English. Suddenly I'm only speaking French or only speaking Hebrew, right? Or let's say you studied Mandarin as a child and then you have a stroke, you know, 50 years later and that English speaking part of the brain was damaged. Your brain will try to retrieve language in some form and then goes and finds that Mandarin and then you're suddenly fluent in it, you know, which is just kind of crazy. Yeah. But I don't know if it's a walk-in or a brain thing. I I mean, science. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I feel like, I feel like it's one of those things where when we learn something, we're always just relearning it. You know what I mean? Like we say, like, I'm like, oh, I'm about to learn French, but like in theory, you've probably already learned French, right? Or you have access to this like collective understanding of French. And so when your brain is struggling to find language, it's just like, oh, look, maybe I have this repository of like all these languages and I'm just going to choose French because that like makes the most sense to go to. And I have the most access to that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's like, we're just relearning everything. And so when that thing happens, it's like your brain just, just like suddenly remembers all of it. Yeah. It's very weird. I I think in some cases it is like a past life memory or a walk-in or something, but I'm going to give you a couple stories. Let me start first with the foreign accent syndrome. So in a hundred years, about a hundred people have been reported to have it like at present and this present day, they estimate 20 people have it and probably more because people don't like to tell people they have it. One case is the case of Michelle Myers, an American woman. She has blinding headaches. And when she wakes up, she has different accents, Australian, Irish, British. We're going to play a clip right here of her speaking. Rushed to the emergency room, couldn't talk, couldn't hardly do, think anything. It was really, really weird. By the time it passed, I was able to talk. This is the accent that came out of my face. I used to sound kind of like Oklahoman, you know, ish, because I grew up there a lot. But I've been all over the United States never outside the country foreign accent syndrome is the conclusion and that's it so so there's another woman named sarah colwell she had surgery no brain damage just surgery you know exposure to anesthesia whatever when she came up she had a devon draw she she speaks like she's british like mary poppins in and and she's from like alabama or something wow there's another woman and we're going to play her here she woke up from surgery with a with a mandarin accent wow 
I have not actually heard my voice in the conversation for nearly three years now. Her initial response upon hearing how she used to sound from a bank telephone recording Good afternoon, thank you for calling. was to long for her old accent to return. Yeah, I'm not actually ringing about my policy, though. Um, I'm ringing for a quote. Do you still want my policy number? I know it's me, but I feel like I want to say, well, she, she make a good speak. She speak a good... Uh, but like that, not me no more. So these are cases where people just have some sort of trauma and they suddenly start speaking the same language, but with a different accent and they can't stop. Well, that, I mean, that's the funny thing too, because accents are one of those things where you don't even know you're doing it. Like, like, you know, like when I speak some other language, like I'm just doing the best I can at it. Right. And then like, and then I'm, but I have a very clear accent, even if I feel like I'm talking in the right way, like even if I feel like I'm doing it the right way, you know, but I was listening to her talk and she was even, she was using like British slang. And she even said like, I'm going to hospital. Like in America, we say I'm going to the hospital. She's yeah. like going to hospital. Like she was actually, it wasn't just the accent. She was like using the terminology dialect. Yeah. It was just, mm -hmm. it was just nuts. And I'm just like, walk in, walk in past life. I that's, don't know. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Then we have some cases of bilingual aphasia, people having some sort of trauma and waking up only speaking a different language. So there was one boy named Nisoma or named Ruben Nisoma, and he had some concussions and I think it was football, some sport. And when he woke up, he was not able to speak English. He was only speaking Spanish. I listened to him speaking Spanish but he still had like a Caribbean accent. Oh, really? So I was like, because I was like wondering if it was like a full takeover, but it wasn't. And he did learn Spanish in his childhood, like elementary school Spanish or something. But his he was now like very proficient in it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Are these always they're waking up from anesthesia or is it sometimes from comas? It's also from comas. Okay. Or in that other, the woman who had the foreign accent syndrome, one of them, she woke up from just a bad headache. Oh, wow. Just so you know. Well, here's a here's here's another one that happened. An unnamed Welsh soldier in 1895 would wake up speaking English, which was foreign to him because he spoke Welsh. And the doctor who was studying him found that it was as if he had a dissociative disorder because when he he would either speak Welsh or English, and he would have like totally different personalities in the different languages and not remember like which one. Oh, wow. That's definitely, that feels like that's like definitely like a part or, or a walk-in or something like that. Like part being very, very naughty. Yes. That, then there, there's a story of Hannah Jenkins from the UK who was a cyclist. She collided with another cyclist and had a head injury. When she woke up, she couldn't speak English and she thought she was in a foreign world. They were, doctors were baffled because her ID said she was British and that she spoke English, but yet she couldn't understand English. She could only understand and speak German. That's um, so weird. Her sister then showed up to be an interpreter and apparently they are from a multilingual family, but so she did have some like background with German, but she was mostly, you know, used to speaking English. Then there was a case of this man named Mc, Ben McMahon from Australia he had a brain injury in a motor vehicle accident and he was not able to speak English for three days and only spoke Mandarin fluently. 
Somehow he was able to retain some basic knowledge from his high school Mandarin classes that were able to fill in the gap. So they had to bring in an interpreter. Wow. That's so crazy. In 2013, Michael Boatwright from California was discovered unconscious in a Florida motel room speaking Swedish and having no memory of his previous life. It seems that he did travel to Sweden as a young man, but he never really spoke Swedish, but he was exposed to it. I mean, he was so disoriented from this, like he couldn't even remember having had a son. He felt very lonely. He ended up committing suicide, actually, in 2014, because he just felt like he just had no memory of that life. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of stories like this. I just find it so fascinating. It reminds me of the movie Ghost, where Whoopi Goldberg lets Patrick Swayze's character inhabit her body so she can make out with Demi Moore. <laughs> you know, like, like are these walk-ins? Are these ghosts? Are these past life memories? Are these parallel universes? Is it just a case of the brain trying to find a way to communicate? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like to believe in magic. <laughs> well, I think I think there's also something that's important here too, which is that like the reason I ask about coma or or anesthetic, I love I love my favorite coma story that I ever heard was that the song Tom Petty's Free Fallen is like the number one song for getting people out of comas. Like that there's just like a very low, I think it may be because it's also apocryphal at this point that like people will play it for people and like more likely to, but that that song is like likely to pull more people out of comas than any other song, which is really interesting. But also when I do clearings on people, I always, if I'm like working with them and I know they're going to go under anesthesia, like I always ask them to tell me like when they're out because Y'all, that shit's crazy. Like the stuff that will attach onto people when they go under anesthesia is like no joke. Right. It is no joke. And it, and and tell me if I'm wrong, medical professional. I am not wearing my medical. No, hat I on know. This show. Okay. So then maybe just like anecdotally, <laughs> if you can tell me this. I used to think that anesthesia was putting you into a level of deep unconscious that was just making it so that you wouldn't wake up right? That you couldn't feel the pain. I didn't realize that anesthesia is just a really strong thing to keep you asleep and that they are giving you pain relief so that you don't wake up, right? Like they're just giving you massive levels of like pain relief. And that's, and that, cause I remember the story because I remember a woman saying that she, oh, the anesthesia alone is not, is not taking the pain away. Is that what you mean? That's, that's what I mean. Like that's, it was a story of a woman. She was recalling how she had anesthesia, general anesthesia to put in an IUD, which of course is not standard practice. And I can tell you for, from direct experiences, excruciatingly painful. And she, and the, the, the anesthesiologist had to give her morphine to keep her asleep because like her vitals started going up when it started happening. And so they like, and so that was like indicative uh, to her of how much pain a woman goes through when they're getting an IUD inserted, if they had to give her morphine to keep her vitals down during, during anesthesia, during general anesthesia. Wow. But the reason I say it is because like, I can, I'll tell this story is that like, you know, I had a couple of family members who went through major surgery, you know, in which they went to a very, very deep state because they were on bypass machines. Right. And I cannot tell you, it was so strange because I, I don't know if this is a general experience, but like this, this, this consistently happened. And at least three people that I talked to who were in the same similar experience is that 
they started to, when they woke up, it was like they were in some sort of demonic hell, right? Like they were in some sort of place. Like I, I know I've been in that place when I've like gone to a bad psychedelic space, but it was like, you're like waking up and it feels like there's like demons all over the room. And there's just this like really nasty feel to like, when you wake up, it's like you went into a place that made you vulnerable and it's like, you have to pull people out of it. So that's what I, that's what I've done multiple times, especially people who are in that really deep state is you have to pull them out of this place. That's like deep in the collective unconscious that they ended up and they went traveling to when they were under anesthesia and you have to pull them back out to stop the nightmares and to stop the like waking visions that happen after they wake up. It is so crazy. Yeah. Well, anytime I drink alcohol or, or, you know, or I've had surgery, it, you have to put up protectors because when you are unconscious, anything can come, come in. And that's even why I think like drug addicts, they have a lot of quote unquote demons on their, or monkeys on their back or demons is because when they're unconscious from a, a drug binge, things get in. And like, they're, I told when they're blacked their out. Yeah. Is and it's interesting because we, someone I know, her husband, I was like doing, I was reading his energy field and I got that he was loaded with entities and demons and attachments. I don't know if you remember who I'm talking about, but he had like an astronomically large amount of entities on him. Although he seemed like a really nice guy. And I was like, what in the world? I was like, I asked my friend, I was like, has your husband ever been a drug addict or in a coma? Turns out when he was three months old, he was in like a three month coma. Oh my God. And he'd been at had that his whole life. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Most of us yeah, are ex-husband now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Most of us, most of us are what are called reflectors in human design. I'm not going to get into that, but most of us are wide open when we go to sleep. We have absolutely, we are just like reflecting the world and we are completely wide open. So, you know, it, it really doesn't surprise me that, you know, we've developed cultures. That, I mean, you know, I always joke about this, that like we've developed our entire culture to basically give us safe places to go unconscious for six hours or eight hours a night, you know, like, and, and if we're in a house and we're controlling it, then we can kind of control the energetic space as well as the physical space. Like, so we can become energetically safe as well as physically safe. Of course, then again, you can go traveling all sorts of places. And usually a good indicator of that is, is if you dream about ghosts or you dream about having an entity attachment. Or if you dream about being sexually assaulted by a ghost, that is a sure sign of having an entity attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to link in the show notes where we talk about putting up an octahedron, but if you're about to have surgery or be, you know, I guess you can't control for being put into a coma or having a coma, but if you're going to have, you're going to drink alcohol, you're going to do drugs, you're going to have surgery, put up your protectors, put up an octahedron, ask your guardian angels to protect you Ask Archangel Michael to protect you. Like put your, it's just like when you go to the airport, you put your shit on. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I recently did, uh, and I'll tell this in a future episode, but I do, I recently did a plant medicine ceremony and I realized after the first one, when I was basically almost like had very, very little effect. And I was basically kind of like almost like sober the whole time. Not only did I realize that most of my life is like one of these kind of trips, but like, I also realized that I hadn't actually made an agreement with any of my inside protectors. Like I hadn't actually been like, yo, y'all can stand down. I'm purposely doing this. We're going to like default to like the ceremonies, protective barriers, as opposed to my own, because I was like, I, I kept being like, why did this happen? Like, why did it feel like it was nothing? 
And then just started to realize that that was exactly what it was, is that like, I hadn't actually put down my protections, so they didn't let anything in like at right. all. Yeah. But not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because in Spanish, you know, when you say, you know, in, in, in English, we say sweet dreams in Spanish, they say sleep with the angels. And I feel like it's, it's a way of saying, you know, put your protectors up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So you. anyways, this concludes our three-part series on the paranormal. We just wanted to just throw in some entertaining, yet the stories are kind of sad stories. <laughs> like if they happen to you, like entertaining for us, how fucked up is that? It's actually sad to be, you know, wake up speaking with only a Mandarin accent. Well, okay. So I'm going to justify our telling of stories in this sense is that you know, I, I think I even once did a TikTok. If you guys ever have ever been on our This Spiritual Fix TikTok, TikTok, I talked about how gossip, which I'm not really characterizing this as gossip because we're telling stories, but that it can actually help people process the pain associated with some of those events, as long as it's not malicious, as long as, long as it's not like wanting to purposely harm. No, um, no, no. We're just trying to educate you on the fact that ghosts and entities and all that shit can get in you. Yeah. And it's also just explore it for fun. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks, Christina. Thanks, Anna. All right. Take care. Bye. Hello, TSF family. We are in the midst of getting ready for our Primal Wounds series that we are going to be running next year. And we are looking for someone whose primary primal wound is injustice, betrayal, or rejection, or humiliation so that we can interview you as part of this series. If you're interested, please send an email to this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. Hello, TSF family. It's Christina here. In our journey of self-discovery, Anna and I have explored numerous tools and processes, just as many of you have during this TSF journey with us. The community of beautiful souls we've connected with both energetically and in reality is truly awe-inspiring. Thank you for being a part of it. Now, I invite you to join me this fall in 2023 for my Zoom course, Redeeming Your Inner Villain Transformation Circle. Over the past year, I've channeled and undergone a transformational journey in redeeming my inner villainy, which I'll talk about later 
this season. But we'll be shifting in this course our perspective to recognize our role in villainizing the aspects of ourselves that perpetuate the drama triangle, both internally and externally. This process has enabled me to unravel and love parts of myself that once villainized, my neurodivergence, my maladaptive behaviors, among other things. Embark on this journey of self-love with me. I'm currently offering free 30-minute exploration calls for those interested in this opportunity or who just want to catch up. Visit www.chriswilsey.com and click begin my quest to schedule your call. And remember, our TSF family receives a special 10% discount on this course when you choose to sign up. Join me in redeeming your inner villain and embracing self-love like never before. Don't miss this chance to transform your perspective and your life. Visit www.chriswilsey.com today. Thanks, y'all.